0: <laughs> so um, we're going to be receiving a missions offering. It's the last Sunday of the month, and at the um, at the end of the service, there's going to be a couple of ushers back there, and they're going to receive the missions offering. If you'd like to contribute, we'd appreciate that should be something that you consistently work into your giving uh, above your tithes and offerings, and uh, it's so important that we support missions, right? God is a missional God. He sent his only son, and he's still sending people around the world, and we're blessed to be able to undergird them with our support so that they can go and do what they need to do on the field. So that'll be received at the end of the service. Uh, Darlene and I want to give a heartfelt thanks to all of you for Pastor Appreciation Day, the outpouring of gifts and love and support. We really, really appreciated that. And So thank you so much for everything that you guys did a few weeks ago for Pastor Appreciation Day. So so this uh, young executive, like, you know, he's really new in the company and he's leaving late one night and he walks by this office and he sees the CEO standing in front of the shredder with uh, what looks like to be a pretty important document in his hand. And the CEO stops him. He goes, excuse me. He goes, you know how to run this thing? And he said, yeah. And he says, good. He goes, because my secretary left early this morning, and I need to take care of this. And he said, yeah. He turned the machine on. He took it. He put it in the machine. It disappeared. The CEO goes, thanks. He goes, I'll just need one copy. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was talking to, oh, I know it's raining out, but come on, lighten up a little bit. So I was talking to this lady recently, and, um, and man, she looked horrible. And I says, what, what's, what's the problem? She goes, man, she goes, yesterday, she goes, I just wanted to drown all my sorrows. I said, well, what happened? She goes, my husband wouldn't get in the water. <laughs> there you go. That's better. All right. So we are, <laughs> so we are uh, talking about a series in Luke where we're talking about this three-paneled panoramic. And each panel is part of the same picture, and yet they stand alone as individual pictures. But when you put them together, it tells one story. And we've been looking in the Gospel of Luke specifically of these three snapshots. So we started off um, a couple of weeks ago with looking at the birth of Jesus and how important the incarnation is. If there was no incarnation, incarnos, divinity becoming flesh, there really is no salvation. Um, And so this is the importance of the gospel message. That's why when people mock the virgin birth uh, or the Christmas story, uh, they don't realize how they're trying to chip away at the glory of this gospel that we believe in. Right? That God came into our world, that he tabernacled among us, and that he paid the price. He paid the ultimate price. And then the response of the shepherds was all about evangelism. Let's go immediately and tell everybody about this great thing that we encountered. And that's how you know, our lives should be a response to that as well. Right? We should be telling people. Um, it's through the foolishness of preaching that people are saved. So it's not going to be happening by osmosis. Everyone says, I want revival. I want revival. But you know what we want? We really want God to do it because we don't want to do what God wants us to do. And God's kind of saying, like, hey, I'll give you a revival as soon as you open your mouths and you start talking because I need something to work with, right? So when we start sharing the gospel, things begin to happen. And so we looked at last week, we looked at ministry, and we looked at Luke chapter 4, and we took the first half of that chapter where Jesus is in Nazareth, and, um, and he says, the Spirit of God has anointed me. We talked about the importance of being filled with the Spirit, being led of the spirit allowing the spirit to burn out of us anything that would want us to use the things of god for our own benefit but rather always for the benefit of god and um and and then and then how you know they wanted jesus to do a razzle you know a, a shazam and do some kind of miracle and and he wouldn't for their benefit because the power of god the things of god are not for display um, right, I think of Simon the sorcerer that wanted to buy the ability to see people baptized in the Holy Spirit from Peter, and it didn't work out. So now we're going to make a transition and a shift. So Jesus is in Nazareth, the home of his birth, when, when the first half of this chapter 4 takes place. And then he travels 30 miles north to Capernaum. And, uh, and it's so funny because I always say Capernaum or Capernaum, and I Googled you got to love Google. I Googled, I said, how far is Nazareth, Nazareth from Capernaum? And it says, Nazareth is 30 miles from Caper-num, Capernaum. And I'm like, what? what did they just say? Like, have I been pronouncing it wrong all this time? So that town that begins with C, I don't care how you pronounce it, but that's where Jesus went. And so we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 4, verse 31. And it says, and he came down to... I still love uh, Capernaum, right? So Capernaum, he came down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were amazed at his teaching for his message was one with authority. And so, it's so important here because Jesus' teaching had a sense of urgency to it. It had a touch of heaven on it. It had what the Bible calls authority, He didn't teach like the scribes and the Pharisees. He wasn't teaching things that were custom or or historic in their culture, and their setting, he was breaking out and he was talking about a kingdom. He was talking about a God of love. He was talking about salvation and a father's heart that wants children back into his family and that things are open wide. It's no more. You can't do this. You can't do that. You shouldn't do this. It's now God's heart is just welcoming everybody who will turn to him. And, and they're amazed, right? They're amazed because it's unlike anything that they'd heard before because everything they heard before dealt with the law. And the law was all about civil law and ceremonial law and religious law, but it was law. And it was all, you know, thou shalt nots, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. And this was now more like a freeing message that God's heart was open. And he was teaching with authority. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus was teaching. Uh, It doesn't tell us what he was teaching, but whatever whatever he was teaching was with such power and with such authority that they were simply amazed. Like, like this was revolutionary. They'd never heard anything like this. And that authority, Jesus passes down to the church. That authority, Jesus gives to you and I. Um, It says later in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, Behold, I have given you authority to show on serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. And I know there's some translations, especially the King James, that says, I've given you power to turn on the serpents and the scorpions and over all the power. It uses the word power twice. But the word power is not used twice. In the Greek, the word exousia is is used for the first time, and the word dunamis is used for the second time. Exousia meaning authority, and dunamis meaning power. And so God gives us authority over the devil's power. So you have delegated authority that's been given to you by virtue of being in the family of God, by virtue of being a follower of Christ. Christ extends to you his authority, and we have that authority as well. And I ask the question, do we need this authority any less than the early church? No, absolutely not. I mean, our our world, our, our civilization right now is just as crazy, if not even crazier, Than it was in the days of Jesus, right? So we need this authority just as much as they did. We can't say that, well, this was for them, this was 2,000 years ago, but you know, it's really not for us today. No, absolutely, it's for us today. We need it just as much as ever. The church needs to move forward on the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't mean power, because listen, when we start talking about demonic infiltration or the demonizing of people, because we get possession and oppression confused and sometimes in the Greek it's just the word demonized and it means coming under the influence of. Um, but when we encounter that we have to have authority. Your physical strength, mental strength, emotional strength, any other kind of strength that's in you as a natural person is no match for the enemy. He will chew you up and spit you out any day of the week. But Jesus gives you authority that trumps that power that he has right? It's kind of like we talked about earlier that the policeman is giving power by the town or the community, the city or the state that he represents, and he has that badge. And that badge means that he has authority given to uphold the things of that community. And God gives us this badge of authority to uphold the things of the kingdom of God. And we should be progressing, we should be moving forward with this authority because we need it. Now listen, a couple of weeks ago, I gave a little announcement about TikTok, right? TikTok is a, is a social media platform that a lot of our kids go on. And you know, for the most part, there's stupid stuff on there and everybody's posting all kinds of videos. But we talked about like these TikTok challenges that are coming out that are getting like brazen, you know, where they're supposed to vandalize their school and mess up the cafeteria and do things like this. And kids are just doing that because kids see something on a social media and it's all about peer pressure. Right? They're at that age where they're breaking away from mom and dad, and they really don't have their boundaries quite solidified, and then they see this peer pressure of all these kids doing these stupid things, and they're like, well, I can do that too, right? Because the cognitive uh, prefrontal cortex has not been developed to discern, cause, and effect, right? So they don't know that when you do something stupid, you're going to reap something horrible, and so they do stupid things. So uh, just recently, I saw where now they have this thing called witch talk. And it's witches that are on TikTok. And and there's this one lady, there's this is one gal, she's a young gal. She's got 850,000 followers. 850 Thousand followers of young people that are all like, oh, this is like Harry Potter. Oh, this is like I can learn spells and charms, and I can do this crazy stuff. And people don't realize the doors that they're opening into their own lives. They don't realize the, the stuff that they're messing with, and people have got to wake up, right? Because the scriptures are very clear. Look at Deuteronomy 18, beginning in verse 10. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, who practices witchcraft, who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. And so God is saying, hey, listen, let me put a great big red line here that cannot be crossed. I don't want my people who are relying on me and trusting on me going into horoscopes and Ouija boards and tarot cards and all this crazy stuff. Because that is opening a door to the enemy. And you will not have authority if you're the one that's opening the door. You can't have authority in Jesus' name if you're the one messing around with tarot cards. You can't have authority in Jesus' name if you're the one that's moving the little cursor around on a Ouija board saying, gee, Grandpa Joe, where are you, you know? So, you, so, so this is like a severe warning that God's giving us that, you know, if we're going to have authority, we have to use it within the realm that he gives us, and we can't be doing stuff like this. There were multiple of these witches on this witch talk thing, and I was just amazed. You know, they're into the white magic. It's all good. It's earth, fire, wind, and, you know, whatever. And, but, but it's not. It's not, right? And, and so we can't go there. Um, More and more people, I'm in Reiki healing. Well, you should get out of Reiki healing. But I'm a Reiki master. Well, give it up. Listen, God does not move by moving the energy of your body around. That's not how he heals. Well, I'm going to move the energy from your head down into your gut because you've got a pain in your gut. No, I think that energy's moved a lot lower than that in the rear section because you're messing with something you shouldn't be messing with. Right? And so God doesn't need that. God just moves on people by his Holy Spirit. He's got enough energy. He's he's the limitless one of Israel. So God gives us these really big warnings and he says don't do it So we go on Luke chapter 4 verse 33 in the synagogue. There was a man Possessed by a spirit of an unclean demon So here we go Last week, we're talking about the ministry of Jesus. Jesus goes through the temptations in chapter 4 he gets burned out of him any desire of being influenced by the enemy to use the things of God for selfish gain or selfish purposes. And then he starts getting tested by people. Hey, do a sign and all of this stuff. And now when that's done, he goes to Capernaum, and man, he's going to pull the plug because here it goes. He goes into the synagogue, and immediately he encounters this guy. He says there's a man, and he's possessed of an unclean demon. And that word unclean literally means unholy, all right? It just means something that's vile, something that's perverted, something that goes contrary to the nature of the Holy Spirit, to the nature and attributes of God, all right? And it can be multiple different kinds of manifestations of of unclean spirits. And he cried out with a loud voice. Wow, who's the he that's crying out? Well, it says, verse 34, let us... Alone. So it's not the guy that's crying out right now. It's the spirit inside of him that is talking through that guy because he has taken over. He's got control of the house. And so he, the spirit, cries out and says, Hey, let us alone because there's more than one. Have you ever met people that they get company? You know what I'm saying? Like you just meet some people and you're like, They ain't alone. Somebody living in the attic, somebody living in the basement, somebody living else, you know, something's going on here. And, and, you know, multiple personality disorder. Let's just call it what it is, okay? So he cries out, Let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's just amazing that all the spirits seem to know exactly who Jesus was but none of the Jewish leaders and scribes and Pharisees had a clue. Like the ones who were looking for him to come didn't know it, but the demons knew who he was, right? They, they, and so, so when we talk about the demonic realm, we need to understand that there's a hierarchy and that it's very organized. I'm not saying that it's not chaotic, but I'm saying that it's organized because Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spirits that influence humanity through the strongholds of thoughts. Right? Our weapons are divinely powerful for destruction of fortresses, pulling down every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. In America, we are in a battle right now with spiritual forces that want to lead us into socialism. And you need to understand this and you need to see this because what is socialism? It is an anti-Christ foundation. It is a godless, societal organization that is tyrannical because it is man-oppressing man. And we are sliding down a slippery slope. That's why I say we've got to open our mouths and we've got to preach the gospel. Because the only thing that begins to set people free in their minds is to be renewed in the spirit of their minds, is to get born again, have the author of the Bible now inside of them that he can begin to illuminate, give them revelation of the scriptures that renew the mind and people start wising up. And they start seeing like, wow, this, this is not right. This is not right. Abortion has nothing to do with health care. That is the absolute horror of murdering, and ripping apart little children in their mother's womb and thinking it's okay. Right? So so all of a sudden, like, these things are happening. And it's interesting because the demon says to Jesus, have you come to destroy us? Have you come to destroy us? So a theologian by the name of Pate, he says this, destroy us reflects their belief that the advent of the kingdom of God would spell the demise of the demonic control over this world. They're going to lose, right? And we, we know that they're going to lose. Like the game's up, they're going to lose. They have no power if we exercise the authority that we have. And so uh, here the, the demons recognize Jesus. They know who he is, and they know that, when he, that, that he's got that control, that when he comes back. Now, they're thinking, this is it. This is it. He's coming to establish that kingdom. That kingdom's going to push us right off. It's gonna, light is going to dispel darkness, But it wasn't to be. But it will be in the second coming, right? Because Jesus planted the seeds of the kingdom. Kingdoms come, and kingdom is coming. And so we're still in the middle of this, and that's why Paul says, listen, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spiritual forces, against this darkness, against world rulers in heavenly places. So it goes on in verse 35. Jesus rebuked him. And there's the authority right there. Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. I know a lot, some of you probably heard this before, but some of you probably haven't. I remember years ago, we were in the old sanctuary, which is our fellowship hall now. I was up there on a the worship team playing, and uh, the Lord spoke to my heart, and He said, there's somebody here that is wrestling with demonic oppression. And so I grabbed the microphone away from the song leader, and I said, I just really feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, there's somebody here that is un, you know, f- feeling oppressed by the enemy. And, and three people stood up, but this tall, thin woman stood up, first-time visitor, and she came to the front of the church. And when the three people started coming forward, the Holy Spirit said, that's the one. And so I went over to her. And I just went, I went to go put my hand on her like this to, to, to pray for her. And when I did, her eyes rolled back in her head, and the demon immediately threw her down on the ground. And she was flopping on the ground like a fish. And so this is demonic possession. And, and this is what happens. And so the spirit throws him down. It goes on in verse 36. And amazement. There were people pretty amazed when this happened. There were pretty people amazed when that happened. Another visitor got up and ran right out of the church and never saw her again. She was out of dodge, right? It's amazing. It's like really, really amazing. Amazement came upon all of them, and they began talking with one another, saying, what is this message? For with authority and power, he commands unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him was spreading into every locality and into the surrounding district. So I've seen people, you know, it threw him down. It's got it's got like, it's almost like there's tentacles going into the mind center and into the body center. I've seen people when we were praying for deliverance, flinch and twitch and groan and do all kinds of things when you start taking authority and command over those evil spirits. And then they get set free, right? And this is the whole message that they're, that they're getting set free. So his power right now is demonstrating his lordship over the spiritual realm. Because in this culture, in this time, they were very, very scared of that realm. They were scared of spirits, they were scared of the evil side, the dark side of spirits. As a matter of fact, today in the Muslim world, you want to witness to a Muslim, start talking to them about authority over spirits, because they have nothing in their culture, nothing in their religion that gives them any hope or comfort or strength over the demonic realm. They fear evil spirits. And so as Christians, we don't, right? We shouldn't. And that's why you shouldn't feed your head with stuff that scares you. I heard a, I heard a little saying recently, and it was kind of funny. It said, um, if you ever feel lonely, just go home at night, watch a horror movie, and turn off all the lights, and that lonely feel would go right away. Because all of a sudden, you'll feel like the EBGB is like, there's something in the room with me, you know. And that's fear. And what does the enemy use? The enemy uses fear. Sometimes it's really blatant sometimes it's more subtle but he always manipulates with lies and with fear and so in their minds this is distinguishing jesus from any kind of exodus that they might have known that you know would have had all these incantations and all these charms and these superstitions and garlic or salt or whatever jesus just spoke a word jesus just rebuked him said come out of him and, and that was it. And they had no power. They had no hope. And so this was, this was amazing. This was revolutionizing in, in their mind. Revolutionary. It's just like, wow, this is like huge. That there's this kind of power. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? Goes on in verse 38. And when he got up. This is what I like about this story. Jesus never even got up out of his seat. Jesus never got like, yeah. You know, get on like, just, uh, oh. Jesus is still just sitting down. He's just like teaching. And all of a sudden this guy's like, ah, you know, and he's just like, shut up. Come out of him. Bam. Jesus never even got up. I love that. Like he never even got up. And so it says he got up. He left the synagogue. He entered Simon's home. And now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked him to help her. I don't know. Is it me? Is it me, or is it just strange that the Bible goes right from demons to mother-in-laws? <laughs> I, 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 mean, I don't know. There's like something. I don't know. I'm just saying, you know. Um, I, you know I don't know. Maybe you, you, you know, your mother-in-law giving you a hard time. You might try casting a spirit out of her. See, what happens? I'm sure that's going to endear you to the family. So, so, so then it goes on, and it says, now look at this. And standing over her. See, I pick up on little things like this in the Scriptures. Like, why is it he casts his spirit out of this totally demon-possessed man he never even gets up? But now she's laying sick with a fever and he stands over her. And look, he does the exact same thing. He rebukes the fever. Can you do that? Can you rebuke an inanimate object? Can you rebuke a fever? Because the Bible also said he rebuked the wind and the waves when there was a demonically inspired storm that tried to destroy him before his time. And the disciples were like, we're drowning, we're drowning, we're drowning. He stood up and rebuked. Because there's spiritual forces behind things that sometimes we need to understand. And so he rebukes the fever. I remember years ago, the pastor's daughter of the church that I was involved in, I think at the time I was just a deacon. And um, the pastor's daughter had a, a baby. And, and she came running into the church. The baby was burning up, had like 103, 104 temp, just burning up. And like we all get around him. I don't know why. The pastor looked at me and says, Ken, would you pray? And I'm like, yeah, I rebuke that fever in Jesus' name. Because I just saw this. You know, I saw, well, it works for Jesus. And he's the one that's doing it now. So it's like, okay, rebuke. And, and she, she went home. And like later on that, like, like within hours, the fever just dropped right down. Within hours. And so there's this thing about just obeying the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit tells you to do something. But, you know, Jesus is the same one that said, speak to a mountain and he cursed a fig tree. And so I guess, you know, words have power and we need to understand that words have everything was created by words. You're, you're sitting in a chair that is nothing more than a materialized word. We live in a world that is nothing more than a materialized Word. We live in a universe that is nothing more than materialized words because God simply said, Let there be, and then there was. So, words have incredible, incredible power, and we need to understand that because the enemy knows the power of words because he was there during creation. The Bible says that all the sons of God, referring to angels, rejoiced at God's creation when he first created. And so, they witnessed, they saw. And, um, and so immediately, not only is the fever gone, but her energy is restored, and she gets up and begins to wait on them. What an incredible story. But it doesn't stop there. This is like a three-ring circus. This is just exploding all over the place. Verse 40 says, "...while the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he was laying his hands on each one of them, and he was healing them." And demons also were coming out of many shouting you are the son of God but rebuking them he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ so it's interesting it says while the Sun was setting they started to come because remember this is Passover and Passover ended at 6 p.m. and so as soon as Passover is over or, uh, or Sabbath they're they're allowed to travel because you cannot do work on the Sabbath. So the law said you can only do so much traveling. And I don't know what the exact distance was, but if you traveled any more than that, it was considered working, and you're working on the Sabbath, and you can't work on the Sabbath. It's against the law. So Jesus is on the synagogue on the Sabbath. This whole thing happens. He goes to his mother-in-law's house. Now sun sets. People are free. The law's, the law's not there anymore. Now they're free, and they start traveling, and they start bringing everybody that they can to Jesus. And he's laying his hands on them. This is important because, you know, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, it says, in my name lay hands on the sick and they will recover. There's something about the extension of the hand. Now, in today's culture, I always tell everybody, because today's culture is loaded with all kinds of boundaries, right? And so to just touch somebody could be interfering with their space. So I tell people, listen, if you're ever going to minister to somebody, You ask their permission before you touch them. That's just a safe thing to do in our culture. Even when people are coming forward for prayer, I always ask them, is it okay if I put my hand on your shoulder? Is it okay if I put my hand on your arm? I just ask permission. Because nowadays, it's a loaded culture, and you don't need to even do anything. You just need accusations against you. And so let's just be safe rather than sorry. But there is this thing about touch. God is a God of touch. That's why God put flesh on so we could handle them. The Bible says those who saw and handled the word of life. There's this aspect that God wants to be tangible to us in our lives. And so we are an extension of Jesus. And sometimes when somebody's broken and hurting, just putting a hand on their shoulder and letting them know, I'm here with you, is very, very comforting right it's very very powerful and so here in the bible you know we have this doctrine actually in hebrews it talks about the doctrine of laying on of hands it's a teaching of laying on of hands there's there's something that happens when we do that the anointing is in the hands of god the bible says out of the out of the hands of god come shafts of power i think it's habakkuk and that is the secret of his power and so literally anointing means the putting on of hands and so there's some but, but then again james talks about anointing people with oil Right? So we don't want to put God in a box on how he does things. But for the most part, we do want to be obedient to the commands he gives us when he says, lay hands on the sick and anoint them with oil. And, you know, these kind of things, we do want to do that. Those are specifically given to us to, to emulate, to replicate, to lay hands and to anoint with oil. Because there was another time that Jesus spat on the ground, made mud, put it in a guy's eyes. He never told us to do that one, did he? Because I don't I don't know the, how well that would go over in today's culture, you know. Hey, just wait a minute. There's no death, so I'm just gonna spit on you, you know. I mean I don't think that's gonna get people's attention in a good way anyway. So all of this is unpacking itself, and all of a sudden, things are really beginning to happen, and demons are coming out of people. Um and and, and you know, it's just it's just interesting. Um, we need to understand something. We need to understand that sickness and disease is a direct result of demonic entrance into our world through man's sin, through man's fall. So sickness and disease has its origins in the kingdom of darkness. It doesn't mean that every sickness that a person gets is a demon. But here, Jesus is laying his hands on many, many, many people, healing them and, and in some instances, demons are coming out of them as he's praying over them. So in some instances, it can be demonically inspired, right? There was a lady, the Bible tells us, that had a spirit of infirmity. It doesn't get any clearer than that. A spirit of sickness. And she was bowed over for 18 years and could not stand upright. So, but I want us to understand that sickness and disease is like never a good thing. It's never of God. Like, oh, God gave me this to teach me a lesson. Like, Really? really would you put a little bit of leprosy on your kid when they misbehaved you just spilled your milk here's ebola you know i mean no we don't do that we teach our kids we train our kids and so what would we think our, our heavenly father would do any different we inherited this through our fall and, and we're living behind enemy lines and so but we've been given authority and this is what people need to say this is what i was saying earlier when a younger generation right now i think they i think their generation Z's right the last gen- I hope it's not the last generation, but it's funny that they get the gen- generation Z thing going um, Signs and wonders Signs and wonders. I have a great hope right now. You know why because the Millennials and the generation Zers Are starting to wake up? And you're starting to see a groundswell that's starting to happen with their eyes opening and they're starting to say You know, I don't think abortion is right there's something that's starting to happen where they're starting to, you know, have funny chants and stuff like that in sporting. Uh, Okay, well, that's it for that then. Um, So all of this stuff is happening. Now, it's really important to look at, you know, what's going on here. Jesus is, they're bringing everybody. This is like, get grandma. She's not feeling well. Get Billy. You know, because we know Billy, the wheel's spinning, but the hamster's dead. Get Billy. And, you know, get Uncle Pete because he's got that, you know, horrible thing going on. We're not even going to mention it, right? So, so like they're bringing everybody to Jesus and Jesus like healing them all. Now, I want you to know something. The phenomenal ability of Jesus, because you remember when Jesus was in the crowd and he's going to Jairus' house, his daughter is dying and actually dies. and And then the woman with an issue of blood comes up and touches him behind, touches his garment. And Jesus was aware that virtue went out of him. He was aware that power went out of him. There's something about the anointing that it puts a pull on your physical frame. It's an amazing thing. I can teach on Zoom. I'm teaching three ladies right now on how to coach that are from all around the country, and I'm teaching them how to become coaches. I can teach for two hours and go home and like nothing, but I can preach for two hours and go home and be totally, totally exhausted because there's something that flows through you and out of you, and it puts a pull on you. So Jesus is like ministering nonstop. You can imagine. That's why, you know, there's times where he says, let's pull back let's pull back. We've got to know our boundaries. And so Jesus is ministering to all these people and you know, they're, they're all getting healed. Things are really happening. This was all to fulfill scripture because look at Isaiah chapter 53 says this, surely our griefs, and this is a messianic scripture. This is talking about Messiah. Surely our griefs, he himself bore. When, you, when you're down, when you cry, when you're hurting, he bore that. He knows what you're going through. Our sorrows he carried. When your heart is so heavy, it feels like an anchor. Yet we ourselves esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. We thought God was doing this to him because he was an evil person, that he was a a false Messiah. And so we thought God was the one that was judging him on that cross and bringing him uh, into death because of his sin. Oh, but he was pierced. For our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the chastening of our well being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. It doesn't say we're saved, by his blood we're saved, but by his scourging we are healed. Now I want you to see this. We're going to bounce over to Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. How many did Jesus heal? All of them. And that word in the Greek means all. It means every single one of them. Okay? Now look at this. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried our diseases. So this is what the this is what the scriptures what Jesus is doing is to fulfill scripture that by his stripes we are healed. Some people say, "Well, that, that means, you know, we're we're born again." No, that no, we're we're forgiven, we're born again through the blood of Christ through faith in Christ, but this is talking about something different. Peter says this, "He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. There it was, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed." So he's talking about two different things. He's talking about two different things entirely. The writer of Uh, Of Acts um, Luke says this and you know Jesus of Nazareth how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him and so here again it's showing us where the sickness is coming from he's healing all those who are oppressed of the devil we live in a fallen world we live in a fallen world and unfortunately eventually we are going to die right? But God shows his authority by doing things that demonstrate his glory. When Jesus casts out spirits, he's showing, listen, I've got authority over the spiritual realm. I'm God, of, I'm, God of, I'm God of this realm and I'm God of that realm. Also, I'm God entirely. And when he heals people, he's saying, I've got authority over this, but unfortunately you've already reaped death, but I will heal but you're still going to die. It's, it's, it's a paradox, right? It's hard to wrap our mind around these things. And let's not just poo-poo these things. Because it's hard to wrap our minds around the, why are some people healed? Why are some people not healed? Well, those are difficult questions to, to resolve. And each one of us in our own way really has to come to terms with that and, and come to grips with that. Why is it some people are healed and some people are not healed? Well, we do have to die. And so... Because of us, right? Because it's not God, it's we're in a fallen world. And we've fallen. He's given us a ticket. He's given us a salvation. We're going to get out of this thing eventually. And what a day that will be. That's why the devil cried out, we know who you are. Have you come to destroy us now? Is it that time already? And Jesus was like, no, not yet. But you know it's coming. Man, when he comes back the second time, He's going to right every wrong, as far as the curse is found. I love that Christmas song. I can't get it out of my head. As far as the curse is found, as far as the curse is found, as far, as far as the curse is found. He rules the world with great. Oh, we'll be singing it soon enough. You'll hear it better then. So this is fulfilling all of the scripture, and and it's part, listen, we need to understand that, that healing is... You know, we shouldn't just say, well, I'm never going to get healed. No, we should always seek healing for the glory of God. We should always seek, you know, what does First John say? Beloved, I wish that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. I want you to be in health. I want you to be healthy. And so we should seek that because as part of the covenant... Part of our covenant is that there's divine healing because in salvation, the word salvation in the Greek is the word sozoites, and it means complete deliverance, spirit, soul, and body, the whole thing, right? But part of it is here now, part of it's to come later, and, and this is quagmire, but it is by faith. We know that because Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, he who works miracles among you, does he do it by you keeping the law, by you being a good boy, by you being a good girl? Is that why God does it for you? No, it's by hearing by faith. I've seen some of the most wretched people healed. And I sat back and I was like, what was the deal with that? What was the deal with that? We had a, I remember a guy once, oh my God, what a despicable person. Claimed to be a follower of Christ, and I'm not going to deny that, but man, while being a follower of Christ, what a despicable person. And that guy was supernaturally healed of a like 10-year back infirmity that that immobilized him completely healed and I was like what's the deal with that I think we're gonna have to be comfortable with the fact that there's some things we just don't know because there is a spiritual battle going on around us and we don't know how God is using things to show that realm their demise we we just don't there's things we don't understand understand things we don't we don't get but we do know that God is good all the time, God is good. And even though we don't get it here and we say, I, you know, I don't get that and I don't like that, when we get there, it's all going to make sense and God's going to reveal the scales from our eyes and we're going to see like, oh, that's why you were doing that. That's why that happened. Billy, stay out of the spare bedroom. Don't go in there. I don't get that. A week later, it's his birthday. Oh, look what I was hiding in the bedroom. <gasps> a pony. I don't know if you'd hide that in the bedroom, but you know. Right? So, so all of a sudden, like things make sense a little further downstream. And this is what's happening here. This is what's taking place in all of this. And so these demons, and it's interesting because it says they come out with shouting. There's something about breath right? The breath of God. There's something about demons come out with screaming. Demons come out with the expulsion of breath. I've seen demons come out with screaming. I've seen demons come out with coughing, just uncontrollable. I've seen demons come out with puking. I've seen, if that's too harsh, then let's say bowl yodeling. I mean, I've seen, you know, all this kind of stuff. I've seen it all. Nothing surprises me anymore for the most part. Go back into Luke chapter 4. When day came what does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus did this all night long? That's exactly what it means. That's why he's Jesus and I'm not, because I wouldn't have done it. I'm telling you right now, around 11, 11, 30, 12, I'm be like, I'm going to bed. I, I don't care if you're sick or not, I'm going to bed. Jesus, when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place and the crowds were searching for him. They came and they tried to keep him from going away from them. Oh, don't we do that all the time? Like, Jesus, don't leave me, don't leave me. He goes to a secluded place. Do you know that the discipline of solitude and silence used to be a discipline of the early church? It was a discipline. In other words, it was something they practiced. The discipline of prayer, the discipline of giving alms and tithes, the discipline of this, the discipline of silence and solitude. We don't have that in today's culture because we've got more noise-making devices than you could ever imagine. Look at young people. You can't break them away from their cell phones. If evolution was true, their thumbs would be like this big within a couple hundred years because of, you know, the, I'm amazed at how fast people can do on their phone. Like my, my finger's like I'm always hitting the wrong letter and then autocorrect comes, you know. The, 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 the developer of autocorrect and check, they are going directly to hello. I love that. It goes on. He said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And so silence and discipline is so important. We need to cultivate that. That's where we hear God. And, and so it's not about like praying. It's not about like, you know, I need this and I need that. And blah, blah, blah. It's just about being silent and letting him speak to you. And when he does speak to you, you will find out like, wow, all of a sudden I can start discerning the voice of God. And then when he asks you to do something, you know it's him that's speaking, and when you obey, and this is when I say people who think Christianity is boring aren't doing it right. They're just not doing it right. Because when you're in silence, and you learn to discern the voice of God, and then you start trying to obey that voice, good luck. You are on a roller coaster ride from that point on. Very exciting, but it will scare the bejeebies out of you. You, You're going to need faith and lots of it. And so Jesus is going to the synagogues. Why is he always going to the synagogues? Because that's where the people are. In this culture, that's where they were. And he's preaching the kingdom of God. And what is that? It's the rule of God. It is a life submitted to Christ. That's what the kingdom of God is. Basileos tau theo, the rule of God. He enthrones his throne over us; he rules our life; he runs our life, and we simply submit to him. And, and you know, here's the thing: spirituality isn't hard. Some people think like spirituality is this convoluted, pie-in-the-sky ideal that I'm always grasping for. Spirituality is just simply hearing God and obeying. Spirituality was that little widow that put two mites, two pennies, in the offering. That was spirituality. So it's not like the big things, it's just the simple things. It's the life devoted to Christ, living its best to please God. And that's just basically what spirituality is. Um, and so he's preaching the kingdom of God, and he's where the people are. And we need to understand that ministry is multifaceted, right? I mean, there's a lot of things about ministry. You know, we say, well, the pastor's in ministry. know, we're all in ministry. You work in the nursery, you're in ministry, you, you work on a worship team. You are in ministry. You, you work in a food pantry. You're in ministry. You, you, you just visit the sick. You're in ministry, right? And we should seek to always do that with authority, with his authority, with the blessing of his Holy Spirit, the demonstration of the Spirit. So I want to just end real quickly with these scriptures. Look at this. And he went about Um, I'm sorry. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them, confirming his word with signs that followed. This is something that we should expect. They went out preaching the word. And while they were preaching the word, God confirmed his word and did signs and wonders. This will happen naturally when we preach. But we're not preaching. We want to see signs and wonders in church for our benefit and this is what this whole chapter 4 is about. The first half of the chapter is about, no, it's not for your benefit. The second half of the chapter is it's for their benefit. Take it to the streets. You want to see signs and wonders? Take it to the streets. You'll start seeing all kinds of signs and wonders. Right? Look at it. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began, what? Proclaiming Christ to them. And the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw signs which he was performing. For in case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them with shouting and with loud voices, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 2, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words with wisdom, but in the demonstrations of spirit and power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And this is again why I say we're living in a time right now and in a culture right now where young people need to start seeing signs and wonders because they're going to witch talk. They're looking for spirituality where it's wrong, where it's forbidden, rather than over here where God says, man, you want the stuff? This is the stuff that turns the heads of those people. This is the stuff that when Paul did it in Ephesus, all those people started burning their books because they ain't never seen nothing like that. And so we should desire earnestly to see all of these things happen. In my name, you will lay hands on the sick. He wants to use you. It's not about the big-time evangelists. He wants to use each and every one of you. Each and every one of you. He wants to flow through you. He wants to use you. We say, oh, the evangelist. One person traveling around the country. Is that really what you would rather use? You, you know, if you had an army, would you just want to take that one sniper and say, he's it? Or would you want to say, no, behind him we have paratroopers. And behind them we have uh, uh, troops on the ground, riflemen. And behind them we have artillery. And behind, you No, know, it's a big thing. It's everyone. It's everyone doing what God wants them to do. But it's got to come from that solitude, that place of silence. Start spending time with him. And this is what I want to leave on. Start spending time with him. Letting him know and confirming to him that you will do whatever he asks you to do. And then see what happens. Because he's going to start you out small. He's going to start you out with testing you. Why would he do that? Because he did it to Jesus. That's what we just went through with the whole chapter 4 thing, right? The Spirit's on him, and he's led into the wilderness, and he's tested. And then he goes to his own hometown, and he's tested. And then when he realizes, you know, of course he always knew, but when, when, when we realize that, that, that this is just for God's glory, then things start happening. Then things start happening. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you have not left us without equipment. You have not left us without authority. You have not left us uh, with just a, a vocal message to preach, but it's a message of a kingdom, and in the kingdom there's deliverance. All that is dark and evil and perverted, and unclean in the kingdom is not there. And so when we proclaim your kingdom, there is authority and power to demonstrate the virtues of that kingdom. That you overcome evil, that you you set the addicted free, that you comfort the brokenhearted, that you heal sickness, that you deliver the demonized. And you've given us this power and this authority. So as we look at ministry and this overall picture of the Gospel of Luke, help us to, Lord, be obedient, that you came in Carnos for a reason, to plant the seeds of a kingdom, a kingdom in, in which we belong. And we thank you for these things, Lord, and we just pray that you would dare to use us. And we would say, God, with the best of our ability, we'll be obedient to do what you say do, when you say do it, where, how, why, and when. And we thank you that the outcome belongs to you in Jesus name and everyone said amen and amen amen hey go and the glory and the power of God remember the missions offering there's a couple of ushers back there and have a blessed week in Christ